0: Aaron recently completed a sermon series on various ways he viewed Jesus. Friend, teacher, presence, savior, among other possibilities. And last week, he began a series based on Star Trek, using that as the theme for journeying. I told him I'd never watched Star Trek, but I had. The TV series, not the movies. The TV series began before Aaron was ever born. I loved that series and watched it weekly. So as I pondered what to preach today, my initial thought was to preach on how I view Jesus. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that my assessment was of him was very much a journey, a journey that encompassed many years and considerable thought. But more than that, I came to understand that all faith is a journey, a journey from what we've been taught to what we have come to believe. Perhaps for some people, that isn't much of a journey. For me, it was monumental. And in the process, Jesus underwent a metamorphosis Not really, of course, but within my mind. He went from being a savior to being a mentor. And trust me, that journey was long and arduous. So I'd like to share some of my journey and how I arrived at a place so very different than where I began. Jesus is my mentor. And a mentor is quite different than a teacher. As I see it, a teacher offers you facts, things you need to know in order to navigate the world. A mentor, on the other hand, challenges you to think about facts and to question them if necessary. A teacher might teach you about the Tulsa Massacre of 1921. A mentor would ask you to challenge that and say, decide how that event shaped and molded the people to which it happened. By making the distinction between teachers and mentors, I hardly mean to imply that teachers can't be mentors. They can be. I've been fortunate. I've had some very good teachers and a few incredible mentors. I had a high school English teacher who was a mentor. Just how he became a mentor isn't clear to me. No doubt my memory is a tad cloudy on happenings in high school. What I do recall is that he challenged me to examine and investigate. Eventually, I was fortunate enough to encounter a mentor in seminary, one of my professors. Somewhere along the way, I think she realized she could mentor me. You see, a mentor can't be a mentor unless they find a receptive pupil. Both sides of the equation are necessary if the relationship is to work. But I didn't realize that initially. I wanted her to answer my questions, but she defied me by answering my question with a question. And trust me, that can be really annoying. I'd ask, what are your thoughts on the resurrection? To which she would reply, Janet, what are your thoughts on resurrection? Well, I didn't know my thoughts, which was precisely the reason she wouldn't answer my question. She instinctively knew if she gave me her answer, I would probably embrace it because I had that much respect for her thinking. But a mentor wants you to think about the question and come to your own answer. In a sense, a question becomes a challenge. Mentors, I've discovered, don't necessarily have to be living, breathing entities. They can be found within books. Many of the prophets of old were mentors for Jesus. They challenged the status quo and ask those who listen to make right choices. Initially, they failed, but eventually Jesus embraced them. As for myself, I came to embrace another writer, John Shelby Spong. Of all the theologians I've read, he was the one who most challenged my thinking. The first book I read of his, rescuing the Bible from fundamentalism, was loaned to me by one of my colleagues in ministry. To say the book challenged and changed much of what I had clung to theologically is an understatement. It rocked my theological world. Spong isn't a theologian who gently entices you. He's a theologian who hits you up the side of the head and sets your world spinning. My world did spin, and so I read more of his books. Spahn became my mentor and did so in a compelling way. He offered me responses to questions I might never have thought to ask, not because I was timid. For heaven knows, anyone who knows me knows I'm not timid but because it somehow seemed irreverent to question writings of the Bible. I've been taught that the Bible was infallible scripture. I believed that for at least the first 30 plus years of my life. That's what I've been taught. And while I did raise questions about other facts I'd been taught, I somehow didn't feel I could mess with the Bible. Spong, however, led me to believe that there was nothing that couldn't be questioned. While the absolutism, which accompanied me into seminary, had crumbled somewhat, it was ultimately Spong who battered it down through his writings. He evaluated scripture through a logical, almost scientific lens, not a religious one. But what impacted me was, more than his writings. I was fortunate enough to hear him lecture four or five times. When he lectured, he would always take questions, staying until everyone who had a question received an answer. Through those question and answer times, I came to realize Spong knew biblical texts better than anyone I'd ever known including my seminary professors. More than that, he evaluated the Bible in new and challenging ways. And one fact emerged from his lectures. He really loved Jesus. What fascinated me and caused me no end of consternation was that on the one hand, Spahn negated a great many of the details shared about Jesus in the Gospels. Yet he loves Jesus with a passion I've never encountered in anyone else. That may not come across in his books, but in his lectures and conversations with audiences, it was indisputable. Spahn loves a Jesus that very few religious folk know. Where Jesus was born, mattered not at all to him. And he didn't care whether Jesus engaged in miracles. Spahn's Jesus was a man who understood who God was and worked to embrace that God with his life. This Jesus is inclusive, loving, and compassionate. Those characteristics were particularly evident through his table sharing. Jesus never would have thought to exclude anyone from the table, as my childhood pastor had, because he didn't know the person. Jesus would have never thought to exclude a president from the table because of any of his stances. The point being that Jesus never excluded anyone. He was gracious, merciful, and compassionate, characteristics used to describe Yahweh, the God whom Jesus learned about as a boy. Listen to these words from the Psalms. You, Yahweh, are a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Another Psalm reads, Yahweh is good to all, whose compassion is over all that has been made. How or why Jesus made the decision to embrace a God of mercy and grace rather than a God of judgment isn't something I know. Did his mother choose to teach him about a loving God? Or did his choice arise from his encounters with rabbis who tended to quote laws and render judgments? Did he make the conscious decision not to be like them, to act instead like the god of the psalmists, the god of the prophets? I don't know what caused Jesus to be who he was, to act as he did. What I do know is that Spong's analysis of scripture reveals a Jesus who modeled his life after a loving God. And that Jesus became my mentor. Each of us, just as Jesus did, makes the decision to emphasize certain learnings over others. Or maybe not. Consider the debate between the letter of Galatians and Ephesians. Galatians says there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female for all of you are one in christ jesus it's egalitarian to say the least ephesians on the other hand has this to say wives be subject to your husbands as you are to the lord slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling hierarchical not egalitarian so which is it Which should we follow Biblical scholarship informs us that Galatians was written first, probably before 54 of the Christian era, earlier even than the Gospels. On the other hand, Ephesians was written much later, around 90 of the Christian era, some 30 years after Paul's death. Paul seems to have grasped who Jesus was The writer of Ephesians didn't have a clue. Yet few people learn such details. What they might learn from those who teach them is which choice to emphasize. But let's fast forward my journey. The Jesus that Spong talks about in his books became my mentor. Why? Because that Jesus challenges me to be like him, to act in ways in the world just as God did. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to fast forward my life. It was a long, arduous journey. One does, after all, tend to emulate what we were initially taught in and through our childhood. What I learned from sermons as I grew up was a judgmental God, not a loving one. One could say that any God who chose to redeem me must be loving. But in order to need redemption, I first had to be determined to have little worth. You can't separate one from the other. The connection is irrefutable. And since I had a judgmental father who rarely gave me the benefit of the doubt, he reinforced the image of God that I'd been taught. As a child, I probably didn't make the connection, but it was there nonetheless. It's also the reason I no longer call God Father. Since my learnings all tended towards judgment rather than love, I assumed that judgment was more important than love. And you know what happens when you assume. So how does one become a loving adult when one is surrounded by judgment? My influences had set me on a very particular journey, not the best one, to say the least. Seminary helped me understand that Jesus wasn't judgmental. Instead, he said, in everything. Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. Yet this wasn't the law that I had learned. But That notwithstanding, Jesus had read it in his holy scriptures. It came from the book of Leviticus. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against any of your people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh." I find it fascinating that Jesus should lift that particular verse from Leviticus when so many Christians choose to emphasize other verses of that book. It's been said that we each come by the gifts we have to offer, by an infinite series of influences and breaks we can never fully understand. Influences and breaks, they differ for each of us. How Spahn came to love the Jesus he embraced isn't something I know. What became evident to me is that he formed a vision of him by examining how Jesus himself extrapolated what he believed was important from the scriptures he'd been taught. Each of us does that, don't we? We form our own vision of Jesus and of God by deciding where we want to place the emphasis. And as we know, there is no one way. If there were, there wouldn't be different versions of Christianity or Judaism or Islam. So that's how both Spong and Jesus became my mentors. Both taught me that each one of us can decide where to place the emphasis and how to act based on the emphasis we choose. But ultimately, the choice was mine. Neither was going to make it for me. Spong asked the question, is faith so weak in life so afraid that those who dare to pose questions must expect to be attacked for faith, faithlessness by the religiously insecure? Jesus was certainly attacked for faithlessness by the religious leaders of his day. Spong acknowledges that if he had lived in a different time, he most probably would have been burned at the stake. A tax made me question if I have made the right choices. Journeys are all about choices. Some of us head in one direction, while others choose a totally different one. Maybe it all comes down to whether we have mentors to guide us. Is there a right or wrong choice? I'll leave that for you to answer. Amen.